Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. We have, for those of you that are not aware, we have a wonderful ministry in our church called Celebrate Recovery. And um, I think some of us have thought that that's a place just for alcoholics and drug addicts or former to go, and you are so wrong and incorrect in your thinking. And it so happened that we were able to have this great man of God, Pastor Randy Brown from Urbana, Illinois, with us, and he's gonna tell you a little bit about what's happening there. We were able to be in a service on Friday night. You are going to feel great passion from this man and his ministry, and you are going to be blessed today. Is there anybody here hurting? Any habits, hang-ups, anything you'd like to be set free from? You're in the right place today. Pastor Brown, take your liberty. God bless you. Hallelujah. Let's just keep lifting that up to Jesus today. My Lord God, you are awesome. You are powerful, God. You are mighty, Lord Jesus. God, we're here today because we need you in a deeper dimension in our life today, God. And we give you the glory and the praise and the honor for all things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Why don't somebody just shout in Jesus' name? name. Come on like you mean it. In Jesus' name. name. That's what I'm talking about right there. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Um, again, I just want to say thank you very much uh, to your pastor and, his, and this ministry team and this church for allowing us to come. And uh, we are excited about what, what God's doing, not only in, in Champaign-Urbana, but how it's kind of catching like a fire and spreading to a lot of other areas. And I'm just going to say right now before today's over with, I will fall off those stairs. So I'm really accident prone, I'm used to it. Don't call 911, just stick the microphone up to my mouth and we'll all be good. So, you know, I I just wanna say number one, thanks to the the, uh, song service, the the people that arranged the songs today, because the the songs were just awesome and they really spoke to me and they ministered to me in an awesome way. And and I'm I'm terrible at words, I'm not a musician, I'm not good at at those musical type things, but the words that I pulled out of that second to last song, it says, you bring me healing in my brokenness. Right? Let's, let's keep that in our memory here as we go forward. And, and we're going to maybe bring that back up in just a little bit. But um, like you said, my name is Randy Brown. I, I come from Urbana, Illinois. And um, a little bit about myself is I was raised in a home that was all broken up and kind of an, an ugly situations in my house. And um, my dad was actually raised by two Church of God preachers. All right, so he was raised by two Church of God preachers and he got wounded by the church and he got wounded by their ministry and he was all messed up. And, and you know what? When, when we don't get fixed, we pass that messed up onto our kids. That's, that's what I believe generational curses are. And without healing and without recovery, 
That's what gets passed on. Now, we think it's going to be something different, and we don't think it's going to be, because uh, we don't recognize it as being just like what got passed on to us. But let me tell you something from personal experience. It, it'll happen without the recovery and without the healing. And we'll pass it into other relationships in our life because we're not fixed and we're not healed. So my dad was uh, uh, broken as a kid, never did get over it. He actually went to Bible college for about a year, and he dropped out of that, and he kind of just started going his own way because he resented the church, and he resented um, the things of God. And my mom, she was a backslidden Pentecostal lady that had kind of gone wild and married a wild guy, and they got married, and they had me and my sister. And so, you know, let me just say this. I've never met anybody that had a drug problem. You either. We, we, don't, we don't meet people that have drug problems. We think we meet people that have drug problems. But we don't. I've never met somebody that had a problem with pornography. Never met somebody that had a problem with drinking. Never met somebody that had a problem with gambling. But I've met a lot of people that had problems that they used those things to cope with them. Instead of getting the recovery that they needed. Amen. Never been, met anybody had a problem with rage. Never met anybody had a problem with anger. <laughs> Never had met anybody had a problem with being passive aggressive. <laughs> you know, if I keep talking, I'll get on your row. <laughs> yeah, y'all got real quiet and started squirreling around a little bit. I'll, I'll, I'll embarrass that pain. But I've never met anybody that had those problems, but I've met a ton of people that had issues in their life, that had hurts in their life, that had um, uh, bruising in their life, that had fears in their life, and they had to use those things to cope with those things instead of getting the recovery that they needed in their life. And the healing in our brokenness, that's where God works. You know what? God goes through every stinking day trying to get into our lives and do the work he wants in our life, and he can't do it because we become so churchified, we've forgotten how to be good, broken people. Right? Well, I, I grew up in a home, and... and, and um, my dad was the vice president of a bank, and he was a successful businessman, and uh, he looked like we had everything going on, but uh, uh, home life stunk. Uh, it was just weird. Everything was weird about it. My dad would leave it two for two months at a time and get a girlfriend, an apartment, or a condo, or whatever, and he'd have a girlfriend for two months, and he'd come home for a while. And he'd go away, and he'd have a, a girlfriend for a while, and he'd come home. And the weird thing about it, Pastor, was... All of a sudden, he'd just show up at the breakfast table, and nobody said anything. It's just like, all of a sudden, I, uh, I come out from doing chores, or come in the house from doing chores, and there he's sitting there at the breakfast table like nothing ever happened. I'm like, okay. Right after my mom and dad got a divorce, my dad brought his girlfriend to our first Thanksgiving dinner. Our house was weird, dude. It's, 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 it was weird. I still don't like turkey. I'm going to have to pray through that. So, but my dad was, you know, he was a businessman and things, everything else. You know, he, he, he 
didn't drink very much, and um, he always kind of tried to be moral in other areas as far as not stealing and, and not involved in drugs. But, but my dad went farther and farther along, and that bitterness, I think, just kept churning in him, and those resentments kept churning in him. And uh, he started hanging out in a lot of clubs. And, you know, long story short, my dad went from a place where he was a successful businessman. And you know what he did? I, I told this story the other night. My dad, when I was a kid, I, was, came, I came, grew up in a small town. My dad walked up to the only drug dealer in our town. And his name was Alan Agashi. And he was a Hawaiian dude. And he pumped gas in our town and he sold a lot of speed. And my dad walked up to Alan Agashi and said, hey, I want to tell you something, Alan. I know what you do. And he said, I just want to tell you right up front. He said, if you ever try to sell dope to my kids, I'm going to kill you. I'm just flat going to kill you. I ain't going to beat you up. I'm not going to slap you around. I'm just going to kill you. And my dad was probably not have done it himself. He had hired somebody to do it. But it was going to happen. And so this is how things get twisted. Everybody say twisted. Things that you thought never would happen start to happen. And places you never thought you would be, you find out you look in the mirror and you found yourself standing in that exact spot that you thought you would never be. So he, he became a, a, a partying and, and he drank more and more and he started using cocaine and he divorced my mom and he moved us out of the house on Friday. My mom did my chores for me. She loaded me in the car. She took me to school and she said, well, I got some news for you. Your dad's divorcing me and he's moving us out. On Monday morning, I woke up in a new house and went to school. Boop. Before that, my dad was so resentful, he would talk down to me all the time. He would belittle me all the time. He would ride me and, and criticize me and, and, and all kinds of things. Don't want to go into all of it. He would sit at the end of the table. I used to hate to go to dinner. I hated dinner because he would sit at the end of the table and he'd sit like this with his thumbs like this and he'd eat, but he'd watch me the whole time while he's eating dinner. And he never did this stuff to my sister, but for some reason he did it to me. And he would watch me, and if I'd have some corn go off my plate, or something would go off my plate, Pastor, he'd get so mad, and he said, he'd start criticizing me about that corn going off my plate. And he said, you know what? If you're going to eat like a pig, pick up your plate and go eat in the trough, and I'd have to pick up my plate and go sit in the bathtub and eat my dinner. That's twisted, folks. That's just twisted. And, 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 and I'm not... You know, I don't, I don't even know how to play the violin, but if I did, I wouldn't be playing it right now. Because that's, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for sympathy. I'm just talking about how a guy that went to Bible college and was raised by two pastor's kids, that when you don't get things taken care of, you can get pretty stinking twisted up. And you can pass that stuff on to your kids. And you can pass that stuff on into every other relationship that you had. And, and you know what? Don't exclude yourself from the conversation just because you never ate any corn in a bathtub. Because good parents, we know, we don't always do everything perfect either, right? And as, as the body of Christ, you know what? We're going to hurt each other from time to time. So lots of things happen, and I don't want to take too much more time. But um, after he told the, the drug dealer out of town, I'll kill if you ever give my son drugs or my daughter drugs, some of the first drugs I ever got was from my dad. I remember him handing me a big bag of Black Beauties 
and say, hey, look, if you ever need to stay up for studying, here, take these. These will really keep you up. 16th birthday, I got a lifetime membership to the biggest nightclub in our town uh, so that the bouncers would stop carding me. One of his proudest moments was when I drank 13 whiskey sours in an hour at his wedding when I was 15. (laughs) That's messed up. But you know what was more messed up? Is that I thought that was normal. I thought, that was, I thought that was good. I thought that was cool. I thought that's what it was supposed to be like. So anyway, I got involved in a lot of different things. And I remember, remember being in an in a, in a establishment one night, and it kind of one of those eating establishments slash bar establishments, you know. And earlier in the evening, like, there would be more eating than drinking going on. And so, but it wasn't for me and my friends. We were drinking a lot. And it was only like 6 o'clock in the evening. There were some people at a table with their family, a husband and a wife and their kids sitting at a table. And um, they were sitting there eating. And, of course, me and my buddies were sitting there drinking. And I, had, I never did anything halfway. Everything was always full bore, you know. And I had drank so much, and I had vomited on the table. And then I passed out and fell face first in my vomit. And all my buddies were just like, oh, that's unfortunate. And they just get up and move to a different table. And then I remember kind of waking up and just waking up and I waked up, woke up and I looked over at the, the family, the husband and the wife. And again, this was more of an eating establishment at this time. And they were just having a nice dinner with their family, a little, little boy and a little girl. And I'll never forget the looks on their faces when I'm sitting there with this puke all over my face and, and the situation I was in. And I, I, I got up, I walked down to the bathroom at the lower level And I washed my face off. And when I raised up, I looked in the mirror. And I saw who I was. You know, they talk about the prodigal coming to himself. We need to do that a little more often, folks. We need to to come, come and get a look of ourselves, who we really are. And we're going to find out we're not quite what we think we are. And I don't care if you've been in church for 25 or 30 years. We need to do that a lot more often. I remember I was looking at that guy. I thought, I'd never be one of these guys. I never thought, I never thought by just drinking a little bit and, you know, my dad would give me some dope and this and that. And other. I, never thought I'd be, I never thought I'd be a guy that'd puke in a restaurant and fall face first in my own puke. I never thought I would be that guy. I always thought I'd be a successful guy or a, a guy that people looked up to or, or that people wanted to be like. I never thought I'd be the puke guy, but I was the puke guy. And I remember it made me so stinking mad that, and and I, was, I was so stinking mad, I wanted to be over with, I just yelled out, I said, I'm done, and I reared my head back, and I smashed my face against the mirror, and I shattered the mirror, and I walked out. And I didn't know the Lord at that time, but I had a lot of family. I had a, a, a family a member named J.H. Joy, who was my uncle, and he used to pick me up, and he had Lighthouse Ranch for boys, and he used to pick me up and pray for me and, and try to win me to God. I had people, family members that were praying for me, and I walked out of that place. I said, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. And I went up, I got up the next morning, and I popped the top on a, on a beer when I was going to mow the grass, and I remembered the night before. I said, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. And I emptied out the refrigerator, and that was May 20, or that was about 1987 or so, 88, and I've never had a drop of alcohol since then, and I've never smoked any dope, I've never had any drugs since then. 
Soon after that, I went to a Pentecostal church that my uncle took me to, and, and I shortened it up. I got baptized in Jesus' name. My wife, she was raised by two alcoholics. She got baptized in Jesus' name. We came back home, got in a great church. God filled us with the Holy Ghost and set us free and took all of our sins away. They were remitted, and we were on our way to heaven. But we were still messed up. That didn't untwist a lot of the things. That took care of my vertical stuff with Jesus, okay? But it didn't do anything about the horizontal stuff in my life. <laughs> so then I started reaching back to the people that I had been associated with and consequently led me to people that were crack addicts and heroin addicts and that drank a lot and alcoholics and stuff. And so in an effort to do that, we um, would invite them to our house. I had a really nice finished out garage with the bathroom and everything. And bless my wife's heart, she put up with all of this stuff over there. <clears throat> Cook for them and do their laundry. And uh, they'd live in our camper, they'd live in our garage, and just trying to help them. And just, you know, difficult because you couldn't, you couldn't do what you wanted to do because you didn't have that consistent residential living. So we helped some, and some of them we weren't able to help. And then um, about 10 years ago, God, um, a guy I was working with that was a heroin addict, his dad handed us $10,000, and he said, I want you to build something to house men with substance abuse problems. So we built Lifeline Connect. And I was going to show a video, but for time's sake, I don't think I'm going to. But Lifeline Connect is a men's residential recovery center where guys come for at least 12 months. And God touches their lives there. God touches their lives there. And, and you know, secular rehabs generally have a success rate that's less than 10%. And... In the last 10 years, the success rate at Lifeline Connect has been between 60 and 70% of the graduates are clean today. I don't know about you, but that gets me pumped up. I, get, I can get a little riled up about that because I spent, I, I've, been, I've been working with addicts for over 22 years. And it hasn't been to the last 10 years before there's been quite a bit of success that goes along with that. And I tell you what, when God drops something into your life, that God drops something in your ministry that begins to be affected, and you have a tool, you have something that'll reach into somebody's life that's a captive, that can't get free from it, and they just wants to live for God or wants to have a better life, but they can't figure out how to do it. And you see those lives transformed, and you see God reach down into the rubble and pick up the pieces that are all broken up and put together something awesome and powerful and see families put back together and see kids run back into the church and, and grab a hold of their dads that used to be drug addicts. I want to tell you something. That'll get in your, under your skin. That'll get you a little excited. I'm going to, before I hurt myself, I'm going to have Drew, Drew graduated from program two years ago, about two years ago. And, um, I'm going to have Drew give you his testimony, and then we're going, to, we're going to minister for just a little while longer after that. I appreciate Drew coming with me. He's awesome. He's helpful. Praise the Lord. My name's 
Drew, it's Andrew Cook, and uh, I'm originally from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Um, I'm a little opposite of Brother Brown. I, wasn't, I was actually raised in the church, and my father pastors to this day a church in South Carolina. Um, I grew up, I had a really good life coming up. I had a really good family. Um, I had everything that successful people normally have. And, uh, but there were some things that were mixed up in me. And uh, they, they began to kind of show up in my teenage years, and I began to try and uh, dabble around in drugs and music and things like that. And um, it ended up with, uh, well, I went through that stage, and it, it was more of a social thing. But I knew the effect of drugs. I knew I knew that they they had the ability to make me numb, and, and I couldn't feel anything. And uh, once I got married. Um, I couldn't do the drugs anymore, you know, it, it just didn't make sense for a married man and, and kids came. But uh, I just kind of switched it over and, and work became my drug. And I started getting all of my validation from how good of a, a technician I was, you know. And I spent all my time working, I would work overtime like crazy and it just, it fueled me. And uh, it helped me to outrun all of the things in my past that were so painful. Um, Eventually, because I worked so much, I got a little careless and I, I had a terrible fall and a bad back injury and uh, the doctors gave me lots of pain medicine. And um, all of a sudden I didn't have to run anymore. The medicine just built a great big wall that nothing could get to me through. Um, so I began to abuse the, the medicine. I, I would take more than I was supposed to. <clears throat> and eventually it led to, uh, to me injecting the medicine and I would take a 100 microgram fentanyl patch and just to give you an idea what that is one microgram of fentanyl is equivalent of 10 milligrams of morphine and I would t I would squeeze the gel out of that patch and I would cook the medicine out of it and I would shoot it up in one shot and pass out on the bed and so I should be dead so many times over but the drugs just kept adding to it so so I had a lot of things I was running from but every time I'd use and, and do something stupid there was something else that I had to run from um, so I'm trying to be quick. I had, I had this back injury and it, it was my go-to. Nobody could tell me anything because I'm injured and I need this medicine. The doctors say I need this medicine. And, uh, you know, with that back injury, there was, there was no hope for me. You were never going to talk me in, uh, to me having a problem as long as I had a back injury. So here's the things that God did almost overnight. The first thing that happened was I got hit with uh, a manufacturing and conspiracy charge and I was going to start facing some jail time. The second thing that God did was uh, I lost my doctor. So now I was up against at least three months where I wouldn't have prescriptions. It would take at least that long to get another doctor and get them prescribing me. Um, so I, I don't have the easy drugs anymore. And then the one thing hanging on that kept me holding on was that back injury. And my dad uh, asked me to come to church with him one night, and I came to church, and God just moved. And God healed my back that night. I remember, I remember going home and sitting down on the chair, and, and I was just excited because, you know, it was the first move I'd experienced in so long. And um, I'm sitting there talking with my family, and it just kind of dawned on me that it's not hurting. You know, there's nothing stinging, there's nothing stabbing. I got up and I bent ways I hadn't bent in years. 
and it was just totally healed. And I felt so mixed up inside because I knew right then that it was done. Like my, my best, my ace in the hole was gone. So anybody that ever had mixed feelings about being healed, it was me. Um, Brother Brown's daughter had been in contact with my parents. My parents been in contact with him. And uh, I started interviewing for Lifeline Connect. And I came to Lifeline Connect. I might have did that. Yeah, I touched the bottom of the mic. <laughs> so I came to Lifeline Connect and uh, realized that I, I didn't really have a drug problem. We never talked about drugs in Lifeline Connect. We never talked about heroin or, or methadone or crack or meth or whatever. Um, we talked about the things that hurt from when I was a child and things that I had discounted long, long ago. We went through through uh, the Genesis 101 process and there were things that I wrote down that, you know, these are things that happened in my life, but they really didn't hold any significance. I didn't think, but these were terrible wounds that drove me to look for ways to numb it up and to hide from it and to escape from it. This is what we dealt with at Lifeline Connect. And it began to change the beliefs that I had inside about myself. You know, false beliefs, these are lies that I, I believed wholeheartedly. But these lies began to get exposed and then the truth began to be exposed. Yes. And then I began to have some new experiences that made it very clear that what I believed about myself was a total lie. And those beliefs got replaced. And I just want to say that, you know, at, in this time I'm married. And my wife began to have contact with me again after I'd got through the 90 days of program and moved into different phases. And there was always something weird on the phone and when she would, when she would uh, come and visit and with my parents too. There, it, there was this weirdness and almost they felt a little distant from me. And eventually my wife came to me and told me that, that she was intimidated by me now because there had been so much healing that I had not become a recovering, I, I wasn't a recovered addict, I was a recovered person. Right. And she didn't know how to interact with a healthy person because she wasn't healthy herself. My parents weren't healthy people. You know, they, like Brother Brown, I'll give you this demonstration of round gears. And when an addict gets out of shape, it, out, it, it misshapes everybody. And when I came back, all, you know, I was just round gear, and everyone's still misshapen, and they didn't really know how to interact with me or how to, how to perceive it. But what they did know was that they wanted what I was getting. And they weren't drug addicts, but they wanted what I had because everyone needs recovery. Right? You, we may not use crack, we may not use, you know, opiates, may not use alcohol, to deal with the pain. But I guarantee you there's some people that use some work to outrun pain, because that's what I did. And I, I'm still pretty bad about that. I have to, I have a, that map book out there is filled up with stuff to keep me from working overtime. Um, but we all need healing, and we all need recovery in our lives. And that's what's brought me close to God. That's what made it possible for me to draw nigh unto God, because there was a bunch of junk in the way and I can't draw an eye into God if there's a wall in between us. And I'll just say, the one thing that stuck out to me is, is it's hard work, but if you'll just take the hammer, that, that pickaxe pick, pick that you're given, and start chipping away at the walls, God will meet you on the other side of it. And that's what he did for me, and I'm thankful. Praise God. Amen. Can you run that?
They're going to try to show you a video over here of a news report done on Lifeline. They're called Lifeline Connect, and for the last several months, I've had the pleasure of spending time with the guys in the program. They all have different backgrounds, different hurts, many losses. More than anything, they all had the same desire to overcome their addiction. Take a look. I couldn't get out of bed without sticking a needle in my arm. I came from that guy's our pastor now. Nursing career lost my dignity. I became everything that I hated. That was before, but now they stand side by side with numbers reflecting their years of sobriety, and they attribute it to Lifeline Connect. Lifeline is it's a life changer. It's a life saver. Chad May was addicted to prescription meds and heroin for nine years prior to joining Lifeline. I was stealing. I was robbing. You know people stealing from my own family. Uh, my mom has some severe medical issues and I was actually stealing her pain pills. Lifeline Connect is a Christian-based substance abuse recovery center for men. It's an extension of Apostolic Life Church in Urbana, led by Pastor D.L. and Sister Brenda Rogers. In operation for eight years, the program is very disciplined. Waking up at 6.30, taking care of our chores, in the dorm, making sure it's clean. The daily routine also includes prayer, classes on life management, relapse prevention, and accountability. One bad guy, one snake in our dorm can ruin the whole dynamic of our dorm. Participants also live on site for one year with no contact to family and friends for the first 90 days. The men of Lifeline Connect say out of all of the treatment and recovery programs they'd experienced, there was something different different about Lifeline Connect, a certain power they never embraced. How many believes there's power in the name of Jesus? There's no healing without Jesus. All those other programs, I could teach those classes. DePlagio says he's been to more than 15 treatment programs and failed each time. We could chain them to a, a bed somewhere and they could overcome the chemical part of their addiction in a period of time, but that would not heal their hearts and, and, and the hurts that are driving the addiction. The hurt for James Pelham, a previous marijuana addict, had been buried for many years. As a child, I was molested by my brother. Thank God that um, he's delivered me from, you know, be able to trust people. Pelham is among 30 graduates since the program's inception, now drug-free. I mean, I'm able to wake up every morning without having to get high. I'm able to go to sleep every, every night without getting high. Through faith and by unfolding the core of their addiction, the men say they're made new. I've been delivered from drugs. I've been brought out of the life of addiction. Um, unfortunately, my brother did not. Hayes's brother, Chris, died of a drug overdose in 2013. Now, to honor his life, the men are focused to totally surrender to God. He speaks to them and he shows them how much he loves them. He doesn't just tell them, but he shows them through their failures, through their successes. I love you. I love you. I have something for you. Truly happy for those men. Now, currently, Lifeline Connect is looking to expand its recovery center. Presently, they only take in six men a year, but they're hoping to build a new facility to help even more guys. In the studio, I'm Nate Rogers, WICD News, Channel 15. Amen. That's something you can pray with us about. And I'll talk about that, but this, in, in Luke 4, in verse number 18, the Spirit of the Lord, this is Jesus speaking, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, but he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. 
what's liberty the opposite of? Yeah, captivity, right? Liberty is the opposite of captivity. Isn't it interesting, Pastor, that, you know, what's a bruise? Somebody help me. Uh, can you come here a second? Yep. So, no matter what happens here, just keep walking my direction. Just walk my direction. Okay, just keep on walking. There we go. And boom, we hit each other. Even though it's incidental, even though it's accidental, you know, even though it wasn't his intention or my intention as we walk through life, if there's contact between us, you know, a lot of times there's what? Bruising. Right? So we, we can't, thank you, we can't walk through life, even in the body of Christ, without contact and conflict and differences of opinion. And you know what? Because we're people... If we have a proper, intimate relationship with each other, if we connect with each other the way God wants us to connect with each other, you know what's going to happen? We're going to hurt each other. You know why? Because we have intimate relationships with each other. And, and when you have those type of healthy, intimate relationships with each other that God wants us to have, you know, you open up places that, to, to other people and you open up places where you're vulnerable. And if you have a good, healthy relationship like that, because people are people, we're going to hurt each other. This guy means a lot to you. You know what? He's going to hurt you. Is that all right, Pastor? It's all right. You're not going to get a better guy than that. But he loves you and he's intimate with you and he desires that type of connection with you. And because he has that type of connection to you and because he means so much to you, he's going to hurt you from time to time. And that's going to create bruising in your life. And it might be your wife or it might be your son or your daughter or your boss or somebody else that means something to you, a spouse, whoever it is. And the, and the closer the intimacy and the closer the relationship, the more potential there is for bruising. Right? According to the Bible, bruising brings about captivity. That's what I just said, right? We can become captive to those wounds and we can be captive to those inequities because we think somebody owes us something. When there was inequities in a relationship, why do we think we say, well, he owes me an apology? Right? Because it develops inequities in a relationship. And we need help getting over those things. We have wounds from our past. We have wounds from our childhood. We have uh, uh, all kinds of things in our life that have bruised our lives. And you know, even after we get baptized in Jesus' name, and even after we get filled with the Holy Ghost, we're gonna continue to get more bruises in our life. Why? Because we're living in a corrupt world and we're living in an imperfect world with a bunch of imperfect people, even in this church and in the body of Christ. And you know what? The devil wants to bring you into captivity with the bruises that happen in this house. <laughs> he, he wants you to be so Christianified and so holified and so whateverified that you, that you think it's unspiritual to be hurt. And you would say things like, well, it's under the blood. So what? The under the blood things between you and God, it has nothing to do with your brother. That still needs fixed. 
right? Y'all don't know how to take me yet. I'm sorry. It's the only gear I got, so we're, we're in trouble if we can't. All right? Why would I preach this? Because if I ever come back here again, I want every one of you to be here and more. Because, come on now. We, we can't hold on to unhealthy people. We can't hold on to people that are constantly bruised and brought into captivity because there's, there's, there has to be growth and there has to be healing. But before there's that, there has to be brokenness. And we don't like to be broken because to be broken, we have to be vulnerable. Why do you think we end up with so much church leadership and so many pastors that fall into adultery and fall into all these sins? You know why? Because there's not a person in the world that feels more vulnerable to be broken. We put them in a stinking aquarium and make them swim around and act all this and act all that. We don't let them be broken. We need to let everybody in the body of Christ, including the pastor and his family and the leadership and the teachers, allow them to have the opportunity to be broken. Because unless we allow them to have the opportunity to be broken, they can't lead us into healing. One of the best things that ever happened to our church is when our pastor years ago was hit with um, uh, just being overwhelmed and, and depression and he had to just leave for about three months and I was the associate pastor at the time. He handed me the keys to the church. He said, hey, look, I gotta go. Doctor says, I gotta go. Don't call me unless somebody dies. That was it. He's out the door. Why? Because he was broken, but he wasn't afraid to admit it. He said, right now, I, I'm broken. I, 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 gotta, I, I, need, I need to take some time, and I need to time to heal, and I got to do this. He was, and you know what? It made our church such a safe place to be broken that there was broken people coming out of the woodwork. Why? Because if the bishop's broken, and that's okay, it's okay for me to be broken. And we've got the healthiest church I've ever been in in my entire life. You know, Lifeline, Lifeline Connect came to the church and, and, you know, we thought, man, we're really going to help these drug addicts out. You know, we're going we're to help out these poor souls that are dragging in here that are broken. I got news for you. They've done more for the church than we've done for them. They've led us into brokenness. They've led us into brokenness. There ain't a whole lot that scares me. But there's some people in this church right now, sitting here right now, looking at me like I'm a freak show. Thanks. Looking at me like I'm a freak show and you scare me to death because you're unwilling to be broken. You don't even want your wife to see you broken. I don't want your kids to see you broken. Best thing my, ever, my kids ever saw in my life was seeing me broken. We gotta learn how to be good broken people. Because that's where I see God. 
That's where I meet God. You know what? This is my experience, and, and I do a lot of counseling. I mean, I do a, a lot of counseling, and it's not me counseling. Trust me, it's God because I'm not that smart. And you know what I see more than anything? I see a lot of Christian people that's been taught a lot of truth, a lot of truth in our churches. And, and they have all this truth up in their head, right up in here. And it needs to move 18 inches to their heart. That's why we got a stressed out, burnout, worried, non-trusting generation of Christians. Because we haven't moved truth to our hearts. And you know what? The places that God moves truth from our head to our hearts are experiences. Not more, not more teaching, not more talking to the prefrontal cortex, but it's in experiences of our life where he has an opportunity to be the God that he says that he is. Amen. And not be the God that he says that he is in somebody else's life, but to walk into your life by your invitation and invited by your brokenness to be that God that he says that he is in, in his splendor, in his power, in his glory, in all of his truth and experience in every truth that's in that body. Bible but without brokenness he doesn't have that opportunity hey trust me you know I, I remember I, I, I was this tough guy guy I had to put on an image of toughness because where I was raised my dad beat me down so much with all his stuff that I remember I had had enough of that stuff let me tell you how broken is what it looks like this is what broken looks, looks like. I remember, you know, he would beat me down so much and made me feel so small all the time. And you know what, for a man, you know what hurts more than anything is being feel small, feel disrespected and feeling small. And we had a rule in my house that nobody, nobody ever, even if you're playing, I know it sounds silly, but you never tickled my dad. You don't tickle him. He don't play with that. You don't break your arm if you do that. Ain't gonna happen. I remember I was 15 years old and I was, I was wrestling and doing all this other athletic stuff because that was the only time my dad ever paid any attention to me. That or working. I remember we were sitting on the, I was sitting on the couch watching TV and my dad's girl, new girlfriend was in the room and my sister was on the couch and my sister, and I was just barely even listening. But this is how broken people react. I was barely even listening and I heard my sister say to my dad, she said, Hey, you know, I'd love to do sometime. I'd like to hire like 10 guys to hold you down, Dad, and hold you down and tickle you and watch it. And something clicked in my head, Pastor. And I said, I don't even think it'll take 10 guys. And I walked over there and I picked my dad up off the couch as a 15-year-old and I tossed him in the center of the room and, and jumped on top of him, held him down with one hand, and I said, coochie, coochie, coo. Seriously, and it wasn't about three seconds to knew I made, I made a mistake. <laughs> but broken people make vows to protect themselves. And there was something that snapped inside of a 15-year-old's head that said, you know what, ain't nobody ever gonna make me feel small again. And I'm gonna start with you. And I spent the biggest part of my life having to be tough and trying to get big and be big and do big things and hurt people. And, and I had a, a, a spirit of rage and I went through most of my life where my mom said, you know what? You're gonna spend the rest of your life in prison because you're gonna kill some, some, somebody sometime. And it came really close to happening. 
really close to happening. Because anytime somebody made me feel small, I would get big fast. And if you didn't think I was big, I was going to die trying showing you I was big because I didn't care. I didn't care if there was one of them, three of them, five of them. And that, that was just, that's what I used to protect myself. And you know, God knew exactly what I needed because I had been, I'd gotten in church in Dennis Springs, Louisiana in 1989, May 28th. And I got baptized and hadn't had the Holy Ghost yet. I went back to Illinois and I walked into this little church in Sidell, Illinois, where Pastor Rogers was pastoring. And my pastor is about five foot, what, five or six, something like a little smaller guy, you know. And I remember I walked in that church and, you know, I'm pretty expressive right now, but I never used to say anything. I'm just kind of scoping everybody out, you know. And I walked into that Pentecostal church and, and, and they were all wild and stuff. And I'm just standing there and, and I, uh, my pastor walked up to me. He wasn't my pastor then, but he walked up to me after service and God told him exactly where I was at. And he just walked up to me and he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, you know what? Even the biggest brutes cry every once in a while. Bing! I called him everything but a preacher all the way home. I cussed and I carried on and I threw an absolute fit. I had my mom crying, my wife upset. I was so, why? you know what? Because I was brokenness and I did not want to acknowledge my brokenness. I did not want to acknowledge my vulnerability because that's the place where I got hurt always in the past. But long story short, God brought me back to a place where he said, hey, look, where you're weak, I'm strong. <laughs> and you know what? We clap about that and we say amen and we do all that other stuff, but we walk around with our wounds and our hurts and our limps and our gimps and our emotional pain and our, and our disappointments and our betrayals and all those things, and we never give God the opportunity to work in those places. We pray about the symptoms. God says, I'm God and I change not. When we read that scripture, I am God and I change not, we get messed up and we think we're talking about us. <laughs> I'm God and I change not. I want to tell you something. God created us for change. God created every one of us for change. How many knows that God put change in the church? I'm not talking about the offering. I'm talking about How many know God gives the opportunity to change in the church? Ask Brother Kylie to give me a can of change. How do you do can of change with that? Sweet. Can of change. We know change is in the church. Change is in the power of the blood. Change is in, in, in the authority and the acknowledgement of who Christ is and turning him loose in our lives. But you know what? If, if, if we would be real honest today, if we would be real honest today and, 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 and really do what you know, we would do before hearing me rant about this for a while, if I would walk out there and say, hey, look, you know what? I'm gonna give you some change I'm gonna give you some change and, and let you use this change. Or if I walked up to, let me find a, a lady, a woman. Here, see here. I mean, if I gave you some change or, um, if we would be real honest with it, 
And you say, okay, you could, okay, God wants you to use that change in your life. You know what? If we would be real honest with it, we wouldn't even look at the directions. We would just point it right at our husband. (laughs) (laughs) Baptize him in Jesus' name with this change. Woo, turn around, baby. I'm going to be like a rotisserie chicken. (laughs) We'd use it on our husband or our wife or our boss or our pastor. I wish he would, you know. Church is good and everything. We make everything all, all, well, yeah, God, you know, church is good and pastor does good, but. (laughs) Right? We'd use it on our boss. Wait till he turns his back. Put it on his desk chair. It'll rub off on him. Don't worry about it. You have your wallet with you? Can you pull it out for me? Can you hold it up? This is what we'd use it on. Our checkbook, our finances, our health, our, oh, you know what? We get so horizontal with change. We get, we, we, if we're gonna be real honest, think about your prayers. God, change this, change that. Change this, change that. But you know what? If you would read the directions, it would say something like this. Point the nozzle at your face and depress the button. There's a lot of frustration in the church of the living God. You know why? Because we're stuck. We're stuck. Maybe I'm just a little too plain. We're stuck in a marriage that ain't quite what we want it to be. We're stuck in a relationship with our kids that we don't, we don't want it that way. We want it different. We're stuck in careers. We're stuck in um, educations. We're stuck in um, you know, wanting to be in a certain ministry or not having it. We're stuck, we're stuck in all these different things in our lives. And, and we, we're stuck because we haven't figured out how to use that stinking can yet. We're stuck because we keep waiting for God to change the world that's around us in order for us to be okay and start functioning in his purpose. But you know what? God says, just read the directions. Just point it towards yourself. Just trust me. Just be open. Just be honest. Just be broken. Just turn me loose in your life. Hey, I've got some things, Pastor, that I'd like to change in my life right now. And God's been working on me the last few weeks, the last month or so. And you know what? It hurts. I don't like it. But you know what? I don't mind being vulnerable with you today. I don't mind opening up and telling you what I got going on in my life. I've been married for 30 years. My wife's been a Sunday school teacher for 26 of those 30 years. We've been in ministry together and, and, and have an awesome marriage. And, 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 and God's just done awesome things in our life. 29th of April this year, I was getting ready to go to do a recovery conference in a, a, a different city uh, south of us, quite a bit south of us. She had gallbladder surgery because she had a gallstone. And they took out her gallbladder. Four days later, the doctor says, I want to see you. So she didn't think anything's up. So my daughter went with her because she's in town. They were shopping. She said, well, we're going to stop by and see the doctor. And so I get a text from my daughter. Say, hey, 
everything's okay, but we need to meet you at home. I'm like, uh-uh. No, everything's not okay. So I, I keep trying to ask you. I said, I finally just text my daughter. I said, put me on speakerphone now. I get on speakerphone. I'm driving home as fast as I can get home. And I hear the words, you have cancer and it's fatal. <laughs> what? Am I getting somebody else's call? You got gallbladder cancer. It's one of the most aggressive cancers you can get and it's fatal. Average lifespan of somebody that gets gallbladder cancer is five months. A very successful treatment will take you to 12 months. I've spent 30 years of my life making everything good for her. I spent 30 years of my life that she's the focus and I want to make everything right and I want to make her comfortable and I want to make all this thing, you know, just get it all good and get it all right. <clears throat> I can't fix cancer. I can't do it. She decided to do a holistic approach to her treatment because they told her chemo and radiation wasn't going to work and blah, blah, blah. And so she's doing this holistic approach. And I mean, it's, it's crazy. I mean, there's all kinds of juices and organic produce and all. I mean, it's, it's vegetable warfare all day long, you know, 13 hours a day of juices. We, we juice almost 40, 40 pounds of carrots a week, 30 to 40 pounds. And it's everything else under the sun. And you can imagine, <clears throat> I have somebody with her when I'm at work and I do it when I get home and, and I'm telling you what, it's just, the, but it's the pressure of not being able to make her okay. It's, it's, the, it's the pressure of having her holding on to my neck when she's in pain because her liver's in pain and it's swelled up and in pain because the gallbladder cancer has spread up her bile ducts and into her liver and whoever, wherever else. And have her hold on to my neck, Brother Kylie, crying out to God, Crying out to God, I said, God, touch me. You said by your stripes we are healed, God. Touch me, take away my pain, God. I can't, I, I'm having a heart attack. God, help me. Please help me, God. Please help me. All I can do is just hold on to her and pray with her. Right before we came in the doors today, I called my sister. I said, how's she doing? She said, well, she's in a ton of pain. And she gets these knife-stabbing pains in her back, you know. And she said, in a ton of pain, but she's trying to get feeling better so she can have somebody pick her up and go to church. That breaks my heart. But, you know, I got in behind the treatment. And I thought, you know what? We're going to use this treatment, and God's going to use this treatment, and it's going to be like walking around the walls of Jericho, and I don't understand how carrots can heal cancer, but we're going to try it, and we're going to do really hard, and we're going to work hard, we're going to make it happen, and we're just going to keep walking, and da-da-da-da-da. And you know what? I, I, it was last Saturday, this last Saturday, Pastor, with everything, I have stressful stuff at work, my household stress, I can't make my wife's pain go away, I can't keep her alive, I can't, I've been Superman to her my whole life. I've never, to my knowledge, ever said I can't to anything. 
But Saturday, I walked back through the door from getting some groceries. And then before I got in the house, my hand was still on the doorknob. My wife says, I need a green juice. A breaker threw in my head and I was totally overwhelmed. I was like, I, I was just, I didn't do nothing but mumble. I walked to the sink. I looked at a sink full of dishes. I couldn't do one dish. I couldn't put one carrot in the juicer. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. I was paralyzed because a switch got thrown in my head because I was overwhelmed. Superman was dead. <laughs> I had found my kryptonite. My whole point is this. I don't want you to feel sorry for me. You know why? Because I'm right where God wants me to be. I don't want you to feel sorry for my wife. You know why? Because she's right where God wants her to be. You know why that is? That's because, I, because a long time ago, God moved Romans 8, 28 from my head to my heart that all things do work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. And you know what? You'd better get that scripture in your head because if you don't get that scripture in your head, when you have something bad happen in your life, you'll start pointing fingers at God and asking him why this is happening and why that's happening. I don't have any whys for God. I've got a how for God. How are you gonna use this to make me stronger? How are you gonna use this to attack the kingdom of hell? How are you gonna use this to help somebody else get healed? How are you gonna use this to help somebody stay close to you? How are you gonna use this to bring another soul into eternity with you? About, I know I'm in overtime, but I, I, if you all have a crock pot going, you need to go, just go. You ain't gonna hurt my feelings. I'm just here because God's, I mean, I have things I can preach, but this is what God said to do. I think about 12, 14 years ago, I ended up with, in an accident where I stuck my hand in a planer accidentally, and it chopped off three of my fingers. This one, this one they reattached. I didn't even know I had it until I got in the ambulance. And I felt something wiggling around. The other two got ground up. And, you know, I, I made my living with my hands as a carpenter. I thought we were wiped out. And I, it's another whole story how what God did during that time. It was incredible. It was a powerful experience in my life. But I was getting ready to preach my first message after that. And, and it was a couple weeks after the accident. I was getting ready to preach my first message, Brother Kylie, and I went down in the basement, and I got on the computer, and I'm like looking over at my Bible, and I'm typing, and I'm typing out my message. And then after I typed for a little while, I looked over at the computer, and it looked like I was typing in tongues because I wasn't hitting these two buttons. <laughs> I'm over there, man, these old stubs are just going, na, 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 and they ain't hitting nothing. You know, I didn't know if I'd be able to go back to work or anything else. And I was just frustrated, you know. I was just frustrated with the whole deal. I felt like I was letting my family down. I felt, I just, I felt horrible. And I walked up to the kitchen. And I looked at my wife's recipe box was sitting on the counter. I was out of work, so, you know, I was bored. And there's a recipe, wooden recipe box sitting on the countertop. And I went over there and I opened that baby up and I'm looking through it. And I found a recipe that was one of my favorite things that she made. And I pulled that recipe out, brother, and I started looking at the ingredients in that recipe. And there's all kinds of spices that I don't even know 
what they were. I knew some of them looked like weed, but I didn't know what they were. So I started pulling all these spices out of the cabinet. And I laid them all out on the counter, and I'm just looking at them. I'm looking at the recipe. Well, that's what she uses to make my favorite dish right there, you know. And so I thought, well, and I started popping the tops on the jars. And I started getting a little bit out of each one. And I taste the, the one, I taste the one, honestly, I taste the one that looked like weed first, okay. <laughs> so I pulled it out, and I tasted it. It tasted like junk. I was <laughs> spitting that thing out. And then I thought, well, I just got a hold of a bad one. So I went going out. And you know what? Almost every one of those spices tasted like terrible. They were horrible. You know what I'm talking about? You ever done anything stupid like that? Or am I the only one? Yeah? Well, healing's on the way, brother. <laughs> so I'm trying to figure out what to preach. And I'm walking around the thing. And God just starts talking to me about my situation. Romans 8, 28. And we know now, therefore, that all things work together. Everybody say together. together. He, he doesn't say that all things are good. He didn't say all things are good. They're all good things. He said, there's some things in life that are going to leave a bad taste in your life, all in your mouth, all by themselves. There's some bitter things in life. There's some hard things in life. There's some things in life that you'd like to spit out if you could, but you can't. Individually, they can make us bitter. But he said, if you have the understanding and then you allow me to be the master chef of your life, I can take all those things and allow them to work together for good. But it don't work unless we're broken. It don't work unless we're broken. Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to say a couple more things. This is like a fake close, all right? So don't get excited. <laughs> you know what? Truth be known, and I'm not talking about you all. We're talking about somebody else. There are places that when we come to church, we come to church and do our thing, and we see people walk in the door. And if we had our way, Pastor, you know, people, new people come in the door, sinners, whatever they are, they'd walk through the door and we'd be like, they need it. Man, look at them. Yep, they need this. Oh, there's one of those celibate recovery people. I know they need it. I saw them going to that celebrate recovery. I know for sure they need it. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. I heard that guy cuss in the parking lot. Let's go get him. <laughs> Filthy mouth thing. We're going we're, we're to build a 24-man dorm with Lifeline. I'm believing God's going to happen. I'm believing God is going to happen, Pastor. 
But we had to fight with the county zoning tooth and nail for three years to get the zoning to be able to help people. That don't make sense to me. Why, why are we even doing this? Well, why would you contest that? Why would that be an issue? And I remember the very first meeting, you know, my pastor made me dress up and told, asked me to behave myself and be nice, which isn't real easy for me sometimes. I'm a little outspoken. Because I was going to have to testify in front of this zoning board and all the people that were present. And I had to question my mind, why would they, why would they try to stop this? Why would they try to keep us from helping people? I didn't have to wait very long. Because when they start taking testimonies from the community, this gentleman, I use that term loosely, professional man and not too far from the church. I got something to say. I got something to say about that rehab coming in here. He didn't know we'd already been there for five years and he didn't even know we were there. And he started out with, if you let that rehab come in here, them people, and I'm like, my brain exploded. You're right. Hit him right between the eyes with it. And I'm like holding on to the guy next to me. Did he say them people? Them people? Them people? Them people. Hey, I've dealt with them people for a long time. You know what? This ain't a drugs and alcohol and, 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 and gambling and pornography and, and wounding and, and, and hurts and betrayals and, and, and all this stuff. This ain't a them people thing anymore, folks. Hey, our kids are getting messed up on dope. Our kids are getting messed up on pornography. Our kids are, are going off and cutting themselves when nobody's looking. Folks, this ain't a them people thing. And you know how you kick the teeth out of them people? It's for you to stop being a them people people. I do that by being a good broken people. Yes, sir. We just changed the way we walk instead of getting changed. When I cut my fingers off, you know what? You know how long? I, my fingers hurt so bad if I touched anything, it made my knees buckle, made me want to cry. And so even for a year after my hand was healed up, I walked around like this. My wife was, what are you doing? I don't know. But you know, I'd, lose, I'd forget about what was going on and I'd be walking around like this. You know why? Because I, did, I didn't want anything to bump into it. It, had, it, had, I, I just, it hurt too much. It hurt too much. And the truth be known, I'm not judging. I'm just, I just been around a little bit. If we all would have walked into church today the way our spirits really are and our hearts really are, you would have seen a parade of this. And this. 
this because we all need healing. We all need healing. We all need recovery. We all need recovery. And you need a different anchor point to get recovery. It's not a personal thing. In my neighborhood, my town, they have a tow truck operations, you know, and they call them recovery vehicles. They don't say tow trucks, I mean, they're recovery vehicles. You know what? I can be out, and I just sold my Jeep, but I can be out in my Jeep, and it's got all kinds of stuff on and everything, and it's got a winch on it in case you get stuck. Well, why don't you take your Jeep with the winch on it, and if you get stuck, hook your winch to your Jeep. And see how unstuck you get. Folks, we need to get some more participation in our healing. Because if we could fix it on our own, we'd already done it. Right? We got to find an anchor point. And, and, and the people on our anchor point, but when I, my son was a little boy, he said, Dad, he said, I'm glad. I'm glad you're a preacher. He was a little bitty guy, so he wasn't doing that. He was like, Dad, I'm glad you're a preacher. And I'm glad you're a carpenter. He said, and he had a little speech in Pennant, but I really wish you were a tow truck rival. <laughs> He's married in 22 now. I said, guess what, Connor? God's made me a tow truck rival. You are. He said, I'm not the anchor point, but you know what? I'm going to do everything I can to get them hooked up with the one that is. Let's just begin to pray all around this place today. Come on. Come on, just, just raise your hands and close your eyes and let's just begin to pray. In the name of Jesus, God, Lord, maybe I won't get everything fixed today, but God, I got some things in my life, Lord. I got some things in my life in the past and the present, God, that have left a bad taste in my mouth, Lord. God, I, I've been too Christian about it. I've just been a little too religious about it. And God, I think it's gonna make me a small person if I admit it's bothering me or if I admit it's still hanging on. I don't want to be a small person, God. I don't want to admit I'm hurting. But God, in the name of Jesus, I pray because of what I've heard today, God, that I would be a broken person. God, that I will take a vow that right now and forever, I will not try to be a self-healing, self-medicated, self-anything. But God, that I would just allow myself to be the broken person that I am as I walk through life and people hurt me, God. As life hurts me. God, as you hurt me. Does anybody know that Jesus will offend you from time to time? Jesus, come on, somebody just make a commitment right now. I'm going to be a good broken person and not just a good person. In the name of Jesus, I want to invite everyone. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and we'll continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.